our parents, our grandparents with. And it ought to be a joy, an inheritance, a legacy to leave for the next generation to come. I know it's a big vision. I know it is. But I serve a big God. And I know that he's able. I know that he's faithful. So this is no time to retreat on me. This ain't no time to be, my name is Ben and I ain't in it. Let me just sit back in the cut and see what happened. I, I don't need them type of members. I need men and women who will pin their ears back, square their shoulders, take a water pistol and charge hell and say, we on our way. I'm talking about a yoke-destroying, demon-chasing, burden-removing, mountain-moving. I'm talking about conquering. It's so much bigger than what we see right now. My prayers in the next two weeks, I'm able to give you more bullets, tangibles, absolutes, assurances, plans that we all can faithfully move forward, trusting the Lord every step of the way. Let's go to the word of God, the book of Mark, chapter eight, the book of Mark, chapter eight. Let's look at verse 22, the book of St. Mark, chapter eight and verse 22. The Bible says, then he came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him. And they begged him to touch him. And so Jesus, the Bible says, took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Where did he lead him? Where did he lead him? And the Bible says, and when he had spit on his eyes, he put his hands on him. He asked him if he saw anything. Verse 24 says that he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Is that what your Bible says? I see men like trees, and they're trees that are walking. And then he put his hands upon his eyes again, made him look up. I like this next part. And he was restored, and he saw everyone clearly. The Bible says he was restored. His sight, his ailment, his body, his mind, his future, his hope, everything about this man was restored. And the Bible makes it clear, he saw everyone clearly. I'd like to do part two today from overcoming unbelief and spiritual blindness. Overcoming unbelief and spiritual blindness. I want to talk for the next 15, 20 minutes. Jesus opens blinded eyes. Jesus opens blinded eyes. I don't want you to take your seat until you found at least three people and shake them by their right hand and say, Jesus comes to open blinded eyes. Come on, help me out real quick. Find somebody today. Say, Jesus comes to open blinded eyes. Come on, one more time and then you can be seated. One more time. <laughs> And then you may be seated, all right? Jesus opens blinded eyes. He comes to open blinded eyes. Uh, for the second week in a row, we see our Lord and our Savior, the master healer. Jesus comes to bring recovery of sight, and he brings restoration to the one that was blind. But unlike the healing of the blind man last Sunday, remember last Sunday? Matthew chapter 9, the Bible says that uh, Jesus hears a request 
Uh, he asks a question, and he performs a miracle. And we see then that that miracle was instant. But today, there is a noticeably different and an unusual distinctive healing that Jesus brings to this man who's blind. Now, as I taught last week, I want to say it again today. For those that are joining us, for those who want to hear it from the review, I believe with all my heart that unbelief and spiritual blindness can be both dangerous and detrimental to those of you and I, or for those like you and me, who walk by faith. Being blind, spiritually blind, all right? Not having a vision, whether it's physical vision, practical vision, ministry vision, mission, business vision, family vision. It can be both detrimental and dangerous to one's faith and spiritual development. You all know we spent the past two Thursday nights, and again, Pastor Grant, thank you for filling in on this Thursday while I just, I just need to recalibrate and kind of get back together and just trying to be focused in the journey and all that good stuff. But, you know, we've taken the last several Thursday nights, and we've looked at the importance of, of, of vision. We've talked about the influence of vision and the impact of vision. I've taught a message on the value of vision. What is vision worth to you? To me, it's everything. In fact, the Bible reminds us in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no widespread revelation or when there is no word from God, the people wandered aimlessly in the wilderness. So vision has a value. Not only that, but vision also has a voice. As Habakkuk. The Bible says, write the vision down. And in the end, it shall speak. It shall speak. So not only does vision have value, but vision has a voice. All right? We've also looked at Abraham. We've looked at Isaiah. We'll look this coming Thursday night at Nehemiah. And we're finding out that not only does vision have a value and a voice, but vision also, understand this, vision also brings victory. So not only what is it worth, not only was it a saying, but what can vision do? What can vision do? I've encouraged every member of our church, you should have a vision. Every husband should have a vision for his family. Every woman should have a vision for her children or, or for, for, her, for her business. Every student should have a vision for matriculating and, and, and maneuvering school, school, uh, through school and classes. Every person, whether it's missions, ministry, business, family, future, faith, you should have a vision. We've adopted the, the definition from Bill Hybels' book uh, back in 2003, uh, Leadership Courage, a Courage Leadership, that vision is a picture of what can be and what must be, all right? Vision is a picture, here's the definition, a picture of what can be and what must be. Now, listen, real quick, Thursday night, okay, this is, how many more Thursdays do we have in this month? We have one more Thursday in this month, two more Thursdays in this month, I believe. All right, here's what I want to do. I want to take the last two Thursday nights, this coming Thursday night, right here, 7 p.m. I want to talk to you about from conception, in fact, let me give you exactly what I want to say, from vision conception to vision completion. From vision conception, from vision to, to vision completion. I want to talk to you about how do I write a vision statement? How do I cast a vision? All right? What do I expect? I want to talk about dream boards, how to, have, how to create a dream board. How to, how, to, how to be able to see it so I can't seize it? How can I be, behold it so I can't become it? It is a very practical class this coming Thursday night. I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles, of course, but bring some notepad. Bring some paper. 
sat down with a couple of preachers this week uh, in the eastern part of the state. And I said, when I come to the meeting, I'm coming with a clean sheet of white paper and a pen. And let's find out of what can be, and let's talk about what must be. Everybody okay? Husbands, you should have a vision for your home. I have a vision for my home and my family. I've been married 23 years, got three kids. So far, so good. But it, it, it has to be around the vision for my home. I have a vision for this ministry. I don't want you coming to this church and joining this church, and you have no clue why you're here. You should know that you're called to love God, love one another, and serve the world. Soon, we'll enhance that vision statement. I'll add a couple of old school three E's, i.e. education, empowerment, and, and maybe emancipation. I'm not quite sure which one just yet, but I want to make sure that everyone knows why I exist and what I'm called to do. If you don't know that for the church, why are you here? How many of y'all have jobs? Anybody have jobs? Oh, oh wow, a lot of y'all have jobs. When you were hired for that company, whether small, big, corporate or not, somewhere in the manual, somewhere in the orientation, somewhere in the training, one of the first things the boss man or boss woman talked about was, here's why we exist. Here's what we're called to do. Here's why we've hired you. And so now, because you know that purpose, you can become a good employee. Uh, how many business owners are in the room? Let me just see the hands of business owners. Business owners, all right? How many of you want to become one-day business owners? All right, good. Go get your vision. Because if you don't have no vision, you don't want no business. You can own a failing, struggling business, but if you get a vision, the vision will speak to you. The vision will bring value, and the vision will show what can happen in the future. I, I got to keep moving on because I can stay there all day long. George Washington Carver said this, where there is no vision, there is no hope. Where there is no, can I talk to the married couples for a moment? Married couples, if you don't have a vision for what your future should look like, there probably will be no hope for your future. You all awfully hard on me this morning. Panthers don't play till 4 o'clock. I don't know why y'all rushing me. All right. Thank you, George Washington Carver. Where there is no vision, there is no hope. Let's go back to Mark chapter 8. Continuing the theme of seeing and restoration of sight and, and vision and the like. Last Sunday, I gave you a definition for spiritual blindness. I, don't, I, I doubt very few, I shouldn't say that, but there are probably some of you all here today who don't remember the definition of spiritual blindness from last Sunday's message. Everybody, anybody was here last Sunday? Anybody who was here last Sunday? Let me see your hand. Don't worry, I'm not going to call on you. Don't worry, don't worry. Just raise your hand. Come on. All right. Let me help you out. Spiritual blindness last Sunday was simply this, unable or unwilling to learn to discern, or to judge. We said that spiritual blindness is being unable or maybe you're just unwilling to learn, to discern, or to judge. There is a danger with spiritual blindness. See, once again, you can have physical sight whether you need glasses or not, contact lenses or not, whether you have eye corrective surgery or not. There's a need for physical uh, uh, sight. Well, how much more important is spiritual sight? How much more important is it to see not only what God is doing now, but what God wants to do tomorrow? Again, where there is no vision, there's no hope. And I want every one of you to know that God has an awesome plan for your life. In fact, the Bible reminds us that if this hope in Christ is in this lifetime alone, we are men most pitiful or miserable. In other words, if we're just living for the moment, for our little few years on the earth, and that's it, man, we're in trouble. There is an eternity. There's a heavenly reward. We are pilgrims passing through. There's something greater that God has on the other side than what you see right now. All right. So it is important that you and I have spiritual vision. 
that we're able to see spiritually the plan, the purpose of God he has for our lives and our family. So the consequence or the counter of that simply is this. Spiritual blindness. I am unable to, to learn. I am unable to discern. I am unable to judge. Or maybe I'm able, but I'm unwilling. And that's what I kind of find out with the direct descendants of the Edomites in the church. It's not that you're not able. You're just unwilling to learn. You're unwilling to understand discernment. I'll talk about that before we close and even to judge. Everybody okay so far? Now, if you remember what I said last Sunday, let me remind you. We said that spiritual blindness comes from two sources. There are basically two major influences when it comes to a man or woman being spiritually blind. Now, you may be able to see physically, but your heart is in darkness. Your mind is in darkness. Let's go to the Word of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, write it down. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame. As Christians and believers, we're no longer walking in craftiness. We don't hustle the Word of God. We don't handle the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, watch this, it is veiled to those who are perishing, those whose mind, watch this, the God of this age. Now, notice this. The word God is with little g. Everybody okay? The word God in the Bible is little g. So we're not talking about Father God in heaven. We're not talking about the triune Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. But the God, little g, that is the Satan, the devil, the evil influence of this world has blinded has blinded who those who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. Real quick, in a nutshell, here's what it's saying. That God, our Father, who art in heaven, has a plan and a purpose for our life. There is an overarching plan for mankind. But there is an influence on the earth. He's called Lucifer, Satan, the devil. He's the little God. He's the prince of the power of the air, of the atmosphere. And there is a spiritual war between good and evil. A spiritual war between God the Father and the little G God the devil. And until Jesus wraps us the church, you and I are right in the middle of that war. So it is to your advantage that you have spiritual sight. But the just shall not walk by sight, but they walk by faith. It's not about what you see in the natural it's what you see in the spiritual. Everybody okay so far? So the Bible clearly says the devil, one of his jobs is to blind you. When we have our altar calls, for years we've taught leaders and we've taught Christians during the altar call when heads are bowed and eyes are closed and people are standing real still. Not just a time to wonder, did I leave the oven on? Are we going to McDonald's, Jack in the Box, Burger King? No, we are praying. And what are we praying for? We're praying that the blinders, the blinders are removed so sinners can see the gospel light. Why? Because if you are born into this world without Christ, you are spiritually blind. That is the devil's motive operandi for your life. Everybody okay so far? So we see that it is the devil's job description to keep us in darkness, to keep us blinded. How many of you all would agree with that? Everybody okay so far? Let's give you another source. Number two, number two, we said last Sunday, your lack of fervency and hunger for the things of God 
can ultimately, ultimately bring blindness in your life. I better slow down with that one. Your lack of fervor. Stay with me. Stay with me. Your lack of hunger for the things of God. What do you mean the things of God? Prayer, Bible study, fasting, witnessing, ministry, church, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, the things of God, righteousness, uh, uh, the kingdom, the things of God. When you start losing your love for God's plans, God's purposes. You know, the question was asked in our new members class today, can a man basically, once you get saved, can you become unsaved? Can you backstab? I said, absolutely so. We don't believe in once saved, always saved. Just because you got saved when you were the 12-year-old child, you got in the baptism of the pool and got wet and got out, and you lived a hellish life for the rest of your life, doesn't mean that you still saved. I noticed some of y'all ain't saying amen right now. I know that's the way we were taught, most of us in the church, but we're also taught to get sprinkled with a water hose, and then you be baptized. And that, that, that's not even God either. Well, you just shake the preacher's hand, and you're going to be right with God. Don't shake my hand, because I ain't washed my hands in the last 30 minutes, so that, that, that ain't going to work either. There's a lot. I said this morning, we are a mosaic mess when it comes to sloppy theology. People often want to know, why do you teach these classes in the first place? Well, because people come from so many backgrounds, so many denominations, so many traditions, and then we have, honestly, some people who just don't know the Word of God, and they want to learn. So one thing you have to know that you have to have to know that you have to know is that the enemy has a plan to destroy, to kill, and to, and to steal from your life. But the contrary is God has a plan to give you life and give you life more abundantly. It's just as simple as that. It is as simple as that. But when you lack fervency, hunger, and desire for the things of God, you will slowly but surely paint yourself into a corner of spiritual blindness. Go with me again to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. In fact, let's go to the Word of God. Come on. 2 Peter, not 1 Peter, but let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to show you something in the Word of God. 2 Peter chapter 1, and uh, we'll pick it up at verse 5. Once again, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. All right? Watch this. Uh-oh, I can't read it in my Bible. My pages is torn off. My bad. I can read off my notes. But also for this very reason, giving to all diligence, add to your faith virtue and virtue to knowledge. And to knowledge, I want you to add a little self-control for being so mad and mean all the time. I just can't help it. Yes, you can. You don't act like this when you are uh, on, on the floor on your company in front of your boss and supervisor. Why would you act like this at home in the bathroom with your husband? Hmm? All right, better keep moving on here. Uh, when, when, once you get past the hump of self-control, why don't you add some patience, some perseverance, godliness, verse 7. To godliness, how about being brotherly kind? Would you tell your neighbor, neighbor, quit being so mean, mean to me? Now, see, they didn't even talk to you. They didn't even look your way. That's, see, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Now, you on the price is right. You on wheel of a, wheel of a deal, a, a, a family feud, everybody laughing, having fun, talking to the enemies. You can't talk to your brother and sister in church. You know, I marvel when I go to the ball games. I mean, I really do. People pay exorbitant amounts of money, black and white and Hispanic and Asian, Native American. I mean, for three and a half hours, everybody's a Panthers fan. I mean, 
It's just amazing how the cowboys and the Indians get along, the Jews and the Palestinians get along, the, the, the Celtics get along with this. And I mean, for three hours, everybody, I mean, the, the clan is sitting next to the black power group and the, 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 the skinheads is over next to the church mothers for three, all around football. But come to church, you can't even turn a 90 degree angle and say good morning to you two. I said, good morning to you too. See, you say, what does this have to do with spiritually blind? Keep reading. So verse 7, godliness, brotherly kindness. And when you get past the hump of brotherly kindness and love, for if you do these things, you, or excuse me, for if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things, they are short-sighted and even blind. So the next time you deal with somebody who's acting an idiot in your small group, in your department, on your role, don't get mad at them. They're just spiritually blind. Go home and pray that God rebuke the spirit of blindness. In fact, they have forgotten that they once were cleansed from the very sin they committed all over again. You know, sometimes you can be in the church so long, you forget what happened when you first got saved 20 years ago. You talking to everybody, speaking in tongues, loving everybody, giving and supporting and caring and praying and ministering. Now, my God, we can't get you to pray to save your life. Can't get you to come to church, my God, to save your life. I'm telling you, you have forgotten that God washed away all of your sins to give you a brand new beginning. Everybody all right? You said, Pastor, you said that last week. All right, we'll keep reading it. First John chapter 2. First John, not St. John, First John chapter 2, verse 11. But he who hates his brother is in darkness, and he walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Well, I'm a deacon in the church. Well, you are a deacon who's blinded. Well, I'm a missionary. You are a missionary who's blinded. Well, I'm a big-time giver. Well, you are a big-time giver. Keep giving, by the way. But you are giving with blindness. I got a Ph.D. You are a Ph.D. with blindness. I got a G.D., a, a, a Juris Doc. You are whatever you got. Blindness. So it now answers the question, as I said last Sunday. It now connects the dots for me. How someone can be so Holy Ghost-filled, so church-governed, and yet still hate his brother. Let's try this one more time. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, please be nice to me. All right. Revelation 3.17, because you say I am rich, I become wealthy, and I have no need of anything. But do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind? So when you don't hunger after the things of God, when you say to yourself, soul, take easy, for I've been very successful. Kick up your legs on the table and rest for a while. No need to press toward God. You are slowly but surely putting yourself on the path of a head-on collision with spiritual blindness. And you know, one thing about being blind, you may not even know you're blind. How do you know? Well, because the Bible says the blind lead the blind. How can, so that lets me know leaders can be blind. Uh, 
Uh, some of y'all not saying amen, I see. I better move on. No, I'm not. I'm going to stay right there. Just because you're a leader don't mean you're a laborer. Just because you're a leader don't mean you get full sight. You can have all of the capacities. You can have all of the markings. You can have the form of godliness, but you're denying the power thereof. Because if you truly had the power, you'd learn to submit. You'd learn to serve. You'd learn to love. You'd learn to care. You'd learn to be patient, kind, and loving one to another. Everybody okay so far? I better keep moving. I better keep moving. All right, let's go back to Mark chapter 8. So he comes to Bethsaida. Three things happen in Bethsaida. I'm almost finished. By the way, I'm almost finished. I'll pick it up Thursday night. Thursday night, I'll pick it up right here. Three distinctive principles. In fact, I like to say there were three distinctive traits that make for this miracle of Mark 8. Number one, healing would come without outside distraction. Number two, healing would be absolutely unorthodox. I'll talk about that in a minute. Number three, healing would come gradual and in stages. Gradual and in stages. Let's deal with number one. This healing that Jesus performs would come without distraction. I've read this passage of Scripture many times, but it hit me like a ton of bricks the other day. Wait a minute, time out. He led him out of the town. Why would Jesus take him by the hand and lead him outside the town? I really wish I had time, Pastor Mario, to deal with this. I really do. I really wish I had time. Number one, I don't have time, but number two, I'd really like to assure the facts on this particular healing. I really want to impress you all with a little church history and theology, but I don't know if time is going to permit me. I got a friend who's a tour guide in Israel. I, I reached out to him. His name is Ronnie. I reached out to him a few, a few months ago. I said, Ronnie, remind me of what happened at the pool of Siloam. If you know anything about the pool of Siloam, it's where the water from the city of David through the, the water shafts comes out of the city that David built, by the way, 2 Samuel, David built. So, so, so you know, uh, he, and some people call it Hezekiah's tunnel, this, that, and the other. I'm going to try to make it really simple. So, so David said, here's the deal. The enemies are mocking us. They don't believe we're smart enough, strategically wise enough to conquer the city. So David says, I remember that in the days of Hezekiah, that they built water shafts to get water into the city. So when they fortified the city, no one would have to leave the city to go through enemy lines to get water. So smart as they were thousands of years ago, they built this water shaft. So when you go to Israel now, one of the tours you can pay for and go on is through this underground tunnel water shaft. It's probably about a half a mile long, and it gets real tight at times. I took some real big preachers with me before, and more of them preachers were sweating like pigs. I'm telling you right now, God, about, guess what? I was sweating like pigs, amen, because some of those areas are really, really, really narrow. Sometimes the water comes up to your waist, but it was actually the Hezekiah's tunnel of how they get water in and out of the city without enemy attacks. So David remembers that they're a water shaft. So here's what we're going to do. Instead of going over the wall, instead of knocking the gate down, we want to surprise them and go through that water shaft. Wow. Now, I wish I had time to deal with this one. So, so, so in the Old Testament, all right, in the Old Testament, they mocked Israel saying, nobody will get up here to conquer us, even the blind and the lame. Notice those two words, even the blind and the lame. They will not be able to conquer us. So David challenges the men of Israel and says, so they say we can't conquer the city, even the blind and the lame, all right? So what happens? They conquer the city. David makes it the city of Zion. This is what we call the city of David. This is the old Jerusalem before the new Jerusalem is built, all that other stuff. 
But here's what I had to email my friend in Israel and say, remind me of this. In the New Testament, there were only two miracles performed in the city. You have to go study the word this week. Most of Jesus' miracles were performed outside the city. Okay? A lot of it was in Galilee. All right? Some were in this part of the region, some that part of the region, some in Samaria. But if you look at the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all right? Not sure about John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There were only two miracles performed inside the city. One was for a man who was lame. The other was for a man who was blind. Could it be that Jesus himself fulfills 3,000 years of history and saying, David has come and gone. David is dead, buried with his father. But I am the Davidic prince of the New Testament, Jesus, son of the living God. The very lame and blind you said will never enter this city. Uh, these will be the only two miracles I'll perform in this city, one who was lame and one who was blind. Now, that's really another message, but I think it's important to know that there's nothing in the Word of God by accident. Everything has a sense of relevance. The same Jesus who heals in the city then, he's yet healing in the city today. Not just the lame, but also the blind. So let's go back one more time. He takes him by the hand. Now, this particular case, unlike other miracles, he leads him outside the town. I said, God, why would Jesus take him by the hand, lead him outside the town? Well, number one, he leads them from all distraction. If you're going to have a miracle performed in your life, you better be very careful who you're hanging around. If you're believing God for a breakthrough, and I don't care if it's physical, financial, academic, whatever, whatever miracle you need from God, he, he, he brings his healing without distractions, without disruptions, without divisions and diversions. You're going to have spiritual sight? Watch the other blind folk you're hanging around. You want to be able to see in the spirit realm? Watch for the carnal, lukewarm, fleshly, complaining, murmuring, doubters. Because he led him out of the town away from every doubter, every naysayer, every unbeliever, every pessimist, every skeptic, and every cynic. You got to be very careful if you're going to see with spiritual eyes. If you're going to have a vision. I think, Pastor Grant, you were teaching this a little bit on Thursday night. I've taught it several times before. You can't tell everybody the vision. God shows you a vision of home ownership. Be careful not to tell people who've rented all their lives. God says you're going to be debt free. Don't tell people that God told you you got a vision to be debt free and they up to their necks in debt. I'm going to have me a successful marriage. We're going to be married to Jesus coming back. Well, do not tell a whole bunch of folk in the room that everybody's been divorced three times. Okay, so Jesus removes him from every possible doubter. It wasn't the first time that it happened. Elijah, the man of God, did it in the Old Testament. He shut the door before he laid on the boy before he could have life. Why? Because sometimes you have to shut the door. And sometimes on the closest of loved ones. I know you love them. They love you. You'll eat watermelon. You're going to have pickles and eat all type of wonderful food at the family reunion. But they don't understand spiritual things. You're going to allow them to convolute and cloud your faith. Number two, I got to keep moving. I got to keep moving. You got to keep moving. So he leads them out of the town. He leads them from distractions and doubters and naysayers and unbelievers and all that rest. Number two, this healing would be absolutely unorthodox. Not a difficult word. Not a complex word to understand. This healing would be totally different. I mean, thousands of years later, we're still trying to grapple with why Jesus decided to do it this way 
and not the normal way. This healing would be absolutely unorthodox. That is, how do you equate spit, saliva, mud, clay to the healing of a man's sight? My question to you right now is, how do you, what do you do when what God is doing doesn't make sense? And if you're not there yet, you keep living. How do you function in a season where the dots are not connecting? It just doesn't make sense. There is, there is there's the unexpected, the unpredicted, and then there's the unexplainable. This particular healing will go down those very, very lines. Wasn't the first time, by the way. For the sake of time, I won't have time to take you there, but just write down Mark chapter 7. Write down Mark 7, 32. Just write it down. We won't go there, but just write it down for a later, for later time. Uh, write down John chapter 9. How many of y'all read the Bible and study the Bible throughout the week? Let me just see a show of hands. How many of y'all study the Bible? All right, you can put your hands down. How many of y'all don't study the Bible throughout? Uh, all right, yeah, I know that's right. All right. Thank you for your honesty. It's good for, your, it's good for the soul, but horrible your reputation. I'm just joking with you. I encourage every one of you. I encourage every one of you. I'll get, a word, get the word of God. Read the word of God. You ain't going to understand everything at all times, but take what you can and read and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Pray before you read the Bible. Find a solitude, quiet place without distraction. Get something simple. Get a text and a translation that's real common and modern and, and relevant so you don't struggle with words that were written back in the 1500s. And I promise you, man, when you read the word, the word will read you. You'll find yourself in the Word of God. Oh, my God, I got to go to work. Oh, my God, I got to go do this and that. But the Word is so rich. The Bible says in Luke chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 7, uh, verse 32, then they brought him one who was deaf and had the impediment of his speech, and they begged Jesus to put his hand on them. And he took them aside from the multitude. See, here we go again. Look what he did. He took them outside the crowd, doubters and unbelievers and naysayers and all that, and he put his finger in his ear. And then he spat and touched his tongue. Uh, are you, is anyone willing to allow somebody to put their finger in your ear? Spit? Well, you're going to be deaf for a long time then. <laughs> and you're going to keep stuttering for a long time. And then Jesus, the Bible says, verse 34, looked up to heaven and he sighed and said to him, Apaphata, which is be open. And immediately his ears were open and the impediment of his tongue was loose. And he spoke plainly. So what we see happening in Mark 8 wasn't the first time. What we see happening in Mark 7 wasn't the first time. John chapter 9. When he had seen these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. There's that Siloam again. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sin. And so he went and washed and he came back seeing. Let me ask this question real quick before I close. Again, what do you do when the Lord has you doing something that doesn't make sense. Can we be honest? I mean, can we really be real clear? All right, I'm talking layman talk. I'm talking straight, transparent, straight out uh, from the hood talk. <laughs> when this ain't making a bit of sense, but yet I'm trying to be obedient and faithful to what I know God wants me to do. It's unpredicted. It's unexplainable. I'm really struggling with my, my obedience, am I hearing God? Am I hearing the devil? Does it flesh? We, I mean, I mean how, do we, how do we handle this context here? 
All right, now you know I, I try to bring a little sense of credibility to any message that I preach. So I did a little Google and search. I, said, I, I just Google the value of spit and healing. And you'd be, you'd be impressed to see some of the medical documents that have come up. They say that DNA is found almost best in the saliva of a person. They say that healing is five times faster in a mouth than on the, on, on the exterior body. You get a cut or a bruise inside your mouth, it heals five times faster than it would be a cut on your arm. Because somewhere in the saliva, there are enzymes. I'm doing my, I'm doing my homework, all right? Y'all trust me, I know what I'm talking I don't know. I did sleep at a Holiday Inn the other night, but, uh, you know. Uh, and anyways, you'll get it next week. No, no, don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. And forget it. Just watch TV from time to time. Now, now but, but seriously, uh, Boston Globe, 2010, talked about the value of saliva and healing. Somehow or another, you know, all of these mouth swaps, you know, when you go to the doctor now, they'll, they'll swap your tongue because there's a lot of stuff in the spit. Could it be Jesus knew that 2,000 years ago? We just now find that it's out. Could it be that there was something about spitting on the ground? Now, notice he didn't spit in no wine. He didn't spit in, in, in bread, but he spit in dirt. You know, what is man that thou art mindful of him, that you would visit him, the son of man? Uh, last I checked, man came from dirt. Now, what happens when Holy Spit hits an earthly dirt? Could it be that Jesus in the New Testament is simply mirroring and modeling what happened in the Old Testament? Now, woman came from the side of man, but let's make it real clear. Man came from the ground and the dirt and the mud of the earth. Now, stay there. I'm almost finished. I'm almost finished. I can't stay here long, but you have to know that there's value in spit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now y'all see why there's so much room around the podium. Yeah, there's value in spit. There's value in saliva. But I'll ask for the third time, what do you do when what you've been told to do doesn't add up? It doesn't make sense. And maybe I should revisit this last question before I close. Would you allow God to spit? and dirt and put it on your face? Unless it's God. It better be God. Well, in the days of Jesus, they're still not sure if he's just a teacher, a rabbi, humanitarian, or is he really the son of God? I've seen some really unique altar calls in my time. I've seen people fall out in the Holy Ghost with no teeth in their mouth and get up and had a mouthful of gold teeth. I hadn't seen it personally, but I've heard of these old stories in the Pentecostal classical traditions, gold dust falling from the ceiling. And I've always wanted to know, well, if, if all that was happening, didn't, didn't anybody go take that money to the pawn shop? Didn't, did did, did he, the bills paid? If that really happened? I mean, people fishing on the side of on the river, they catch a fish inside the fish with a gold coin. Well, did he take the coin uh, to the bank and cash it? I mean, I'm always, see, that's just me. I'm inquisitive like that. I always want to know the other part of the story. But I've heard a whole bunch of stories of how people got healed, set free, and delivered. And you know what? I believe them. I believe them. I don't believe them. Well, again, that's why you're blind, and you're going to stay blind. But I believe that oftentimes in those days, they had nothing but belief. They had nothing but faith. Wasn't no post-bachelor's degrees. Wasn't no cert cert certifications, wasn't no schooling and academic prowess. 
They have nothing, they had no choice but to believe God. And could it be the miracles then are lacking today because we've taken a turn where where we put our trust? I got to take it there for a moment. I didn't think I was going to go here, but I better go here just for a moment. Someone may need to hear this. So the Bible says, third, healing would come gradually and in stages. Healing would come gradually and in stages. Here's my theology of healing based on the word of God. I want everyone to know this. I want to help you out today. I believe that healing comes in three forms. Healing based on the word of God is instant. Healing based on the word of God is gradual. And then healing based on the word of God is when you get to heaven. Let me help you out. I really want to help those who struggle when bad things happen to good people. We've all been in situations where we prayed for loved ones and they died. We go home scratching our heads. Sometimes we go home doubting God. Sometimes we go home, we don't know what to say. But God, I prayed your word. I fasted. I prayed and I quoted the scriptures. I sung the songs. I did everything I was called to do. But yet, Grandpa went went home to be with the Lord. And maybe it's not Grandpa. Maybe it's a, a, a child. Maybe it's a sibling. God, you said that you're a healer. Why didn't she get healed? You said you're a healer. How come we're still dealing with this lingering sickness? Healing is threefold in Scripture. Healing can be instant. Many times we see in the Old and New Testament where Jesus heals, where God healed. Instantly, they were healed. We read that last week. But then today, here's a different form of healing. This healing was in phases. This healing was in stages. This healing was gradual. And sometimes you have to realize, let's look at the lepers. Remember the lepers in Luke chapter 17? The Bible says that Jesus healed the lepers. But watch this. The Bible says, but as they went, they were healed. All right? As they went. Wasn't the first time. Think about Naaman in the Old Testament. Remember the prophet comes to Naaman? Naaman is, is, is a king. Naaman was this high roller, high shot caller, big time baller. I mean, Naaman was, he was, a, he was a VIP person. But he couldn't humble himself to, to follow the instructions of the prophet. The prophet said, if you really want to be healed, Naaman, go down to the Jordan River and dip seven times. Now, in those days, the Jordan River wasn't what you see today. The Jordan River was known at that time as a very dirty, very uh, cloudy river. And it didn't make sense to Naaman. How am I going to believe God for purity getting in a dirty pool or getting in a dirty river? But the man of God said, here's what the Lord wants you to do. And so Naaman revolts. He rebuttals. He resists. And finally, he comes to his senses and he does it. My question has always been over the years, how many times would you have dipped before healing would have come into your life? If God says seven times, he don't mean six. If God says seven times, he don't mean four. He doesn't mean two and a half. He means seven, means seven. But many of us, we're so educated, we're so smart, we're so intelligent, we've got God all figured out, we got him all condensed into a nice little screensaver. And then we get all swole up when God don't do it the way we want him to do it. Last I checked, God is sovereign. He can do whatever you want to do, when he wants to do it, however he wants to do it, and you and I ain't got nothing to do with that. So for Naaman, healing was gradual, but he was ultimately healed. For those 10 lepers, Luke 17, healing went as they went. But this man today, healing didn't happen the first time Jesus touched his eyes. The Bible says, what do you see? He says, I see men. And he's like, men, they look just like trees that are walking. I, I really need to stop right here. Because that's a question that we probably all should go home with. Why? did it take 
a second touch. Come on, talk to me. You're scholars. You're theological uh, giants. Seem like if Jesus, who's all pure, who's all God, who's all divine, seemed like it would just take one touch. What was the purpose and reason for second touch? I'll let you decide when you get home and you pray about it. But here's my non-negotiable before I close. God can heal instantly. He has and he will. Some healings is over time as you follow the doctor's orders. As you follow the doctor's orders. As you follow the doctor's orders. Watch what you eat and head to the gym. Well, I just want him to lay his hands on me and I want a divine experience and 40 pounds will be gone overnight. That probably won't happen. Okay? All right? But as you follow the instructions of those who are in that industry, healing sometimes comes gradually. But here's the last one. I have to say this to you. Sometimes healing doesn't come until you get to heaven. I'd like for everyone to say amen. amen. Sometimes healing will not come until that loved one has died and gone to heaven. I know we want that loved one to be with us forever. I know we don't want to think what life would be without that loved one. I know we can be so selfish. We can personify everything. We can make it really, really all about my desires and my wants. But sometimes God loves that child more than you love that child. So much so, he don't want that child to ever be without pain, ever to be, excuse me, ever to be in pain, ever to be in fear or darkness or hurt, and he calls that child home. This past week, we celebrated the legacy of my, my late spiritual father, Bishop Waters Lockett. And it's the third year, and, and it doesn't get any easier, by the way. Time does heal somewhat, but I don't know if I can ever go through another October 12th, which is my son's birthday, by the way, my youngest son's birthday, and, 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 and not remember, you know, of all of the people I've known, of all of the people who I knew made an impact on the earth and an impact in the kingdom. God, why him? You would think there were more churches to build and more leaders to raise and more countries to minister to and all that other stuff. But we have to remember Isaiah 55 that his ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. I'm I want to help you out now. I don't want you to backslide. I don't want you to throw in the towel on God when you don't get your way because sometimes we want our way all the time. And there's not, there's not always going to be a first place prize for everybody. There are such things as second place and third place. And sometimes you're not going to get a trophy. We are a generation where everybody gets first place. That, that don't happen in this kingdom. And sometimes when we don't get our way, we get all emotional. We want to bargain and we want to make deals and cut deals. And if it don't happen, we get mad and angry. And we just assume God ain't real. But there's something called the providential will and plan and the sovereignty of God. And we don't like talking that talk. The theology of suffering, the theology of loss, these things happen in the Christian world. So some healing will not take place until they finally come until their immortal bodies in heaven. You have to accept that. You just have to accept that because God ultimately is a healer who heals. I wish I could finish this message. Let's stand to our feet. I have so much more I want to talk to you about. I really do. But I think, I think, it's, I think it's important to stop right there. I'm well over my time. I should have been finished 20 minutes ago. But I think it's important that every one of you all know today that he comes to open the eyes of those that are blind. 
For some of you in this room, there's spiritual blindness. For others in this room, you just lack vision. And when there is no vision, there is no hope for tomorrow. I don't want to see you just going through life just Monday to Thursday, Monday to Fridays, Monday to Fridays. Look for the weekend. Look for a two-year or two-week vacation, and you start all over again. I don't, want to, I don't want to see you live like that. You don't have to live like that. You know, I look at vision in the Old Testament, and the majority of vision cast in the Old Testament had nothing to do with money, had nothing to do with prosperity, had nothing to do with finances. But vision then had all to do with impacting a generation, bringing people back to God's salvation, making a change in the community. People had great vision to move great mountains, to do great things. And there is, a, there is a strong chance that in this room, your vision is too small. You're wondering why God ain't blessing you. You're wondering why he hasn't ministered to your needs and supplied all your needs. Maybe your vision is too small. You are allowing the ghost of your past. You're allowing the doubt of the cynics, the skeptics, and the naysayers to determine your future. There is a possibility that your dreams aren't big enough. So I behoove you these last, what, four or five, maybe six weeks? And I can preach this until I'm blue in the face. But you got to go home. You have to reconcile within that, God, you want to do something in my generation. Something in my, I don't have no time to be moaning and groaning and complaining and fussing and fighting and arguing with everybody. I got to be about the Father's business. So healing has to be without distraction. Healing will be unorthodox this time. Healing will be gradual. If I had time, I'd take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2. The Bible says that God uses the base things of this world to confound the wise. He uses the low things of this world to put to shame those things that are not. In fact, the Bible says, where is the wise? Where is the prudent? Where are all the big shot callers? Let me show you that even in my stupidity, even in my dumbness, all would be better than your smartness. So sometimes God will throw a curveball into your situation. And again, this is not an anti-intelligent message. I encourage everybody to have all type of degrees. Get all the education you can get. I mean, get all of the scholarships and all the education and Rhodes Scholars and Oxford and Yale and great Ivy League schools like North Carolina A&T State University. I want you to go to the best of institutions around the world. All right? But what would it profit you to have all of that, yet you have no spiritual wisdom? You have no spiritual sight. He said, do you not realize that the spiritual things can only be discerned by spiritual things? Who knows the mind of a man except by the spirit that is in that man? And these things are spiritually discerned. God wants your eyes open in the spirit. Quit leading the blind. Quit walking by the flesh. You're experimenting. It's trial and error. You're just bumping and growing and trying and throwing and you're just going. But if you get a vision, you can see what God sees. Something can happen in your life, but it has to be in the spirit. It has to be in the spirit. I got a text message this past week. Passed a friend of mine in Greensboro. I didn't know who he was because I got a new, I, my, my contacts is all messed up in my phone. So if you call me and if I don't answer that, that's probably because I don't know who y'all calling me, all right? So don't take it personal. But he texted me this message. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Hancock, he texted me this message. He said, I had a dream last night that scared me about you. 
He said, there was a bishop who was trying to poison you in my dream. He said, I don't know the name of that bishop, but one thing was sure he was trying to poison you in the dream. Now that, that text came in like a Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't think about that dream for three days. I'm driving back on Friday, and I was in worship and in prayer, and the Lord said that dream is the vision that speaks. He said, I will show my prophets and apostles things in the spirit before they manifest on the earth. Now, I don't believe it's a physical poisoning, you know, but it's a reputation poisoning. And here's what the Holy Ghost spoke to me. He said, start now praying against the spirit of sabotage. That's what he told me. So I'm driving, I'm driving down the road, and I just begin to loose and bind. And I begin to call out the spirit of sabotage. I call out the spirit of hindrance. I begin to bind the spirit of murder, the spirit of accusation. I'm not worried about who it is. That, that didn't bother me. But the fact that some things, see, when you're spiritually blind, you're unwilling to discern. You're unwilling to learn. You're unwilling to judge what comes your way. But in the spirit, you can grab hold of what God is saying and doing. And there's a war. Daniel understood that. Bible says in the book of Daniel chapter 10, Bible says, Daniel, I heard your prayer and I've seen your tears from day one. However, it was the prince of the power of Persia in the air that came against you. So I had to send Michael the archangel to deal with that demon spirit before I could really honor your prayer. Can I submit to every one of you right now? God has heard your prayer. He has seen your tears. He's seen every gift. But there is some warfare. There's some things that sometimes Michael, the archangel himself, has to come and defend you on. Because there is a God of this world. There is a devil. There is the prince of the power in the air, the prince of Persia, who comes to hinder you. And if you keep reading Daniel, the Bible says that he comes to wear out the saints. He comes to wear you out. A little blindness, a little darkness, a little doubt, a little confusion, a little indictment, a little accusation. And before you know it, you're walking with blindness and you don't even realize it. You've lost your dream. You have no more desire to fulfill the vision. You give up and you're just going through the motions. May I say to every one of you today before I close that God has heard your prayer. He has seen every one of your tears. He's got every request, every petition, everything you brought before him. But please know that to the side, before those come to pass, there's some wars, some battles, some defeats. There's some things he has to work out on your behalf. So this is why it is highly important to have a vision. God will do some very unorthodox things in your life to bring about ultimate healing. You may not understand it. Lean not to your own understanding. You know, we read Proverbs 3 earlier, but let me read it one more time. Maybe it makes a little bit better sense. Trust in the Lord always with your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord. Depart from evil. Would you look at verse 8? This is powerful. It will be health. To your flesh strength to your bones even in the Old Testament my healing of my bones 
and of my flesh would come through trusting in God. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Christians are praying. Pastor Stevens, I, won't, I so want Jesus to touch me. I don't want to live another day in spiritual blindness.